We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Send on Sides TV podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Uh, howdy, everyone. Uh, so, things are a little bit messed up this week because there are some technical difficulties, so I... I Kate's actually called me on my cell phone. We, we we pride ourselves on delivering quality audio every week, so I guess one week of, you know, me talking to a phone won't kill everyone. Yeah, um, it's less than stellar uh, audio, but we think the content will more than make up for it. Yes. Also, I look a little bit like Joseph Merrick right now because I had a tooth thing, and yeah, <laughs> you know, it's been a pretty insane week. Yeah, yeah, but... Hopefully next week when I ask you how things are going, it'll be much better because you will no longer have, you know, the, your Merrick face on, and you will have an apartment. So next uh, week. Uh, well, let's 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 not jump the gun on that. <laughs> Fair enough. We uh we heard from you guys a bit this week, so thank you so much for the comments. We got some great comments on the website. First of all, we heard from Dan who filled us in a little bit about some of the past injuries on the Amazing Race, and when he started mentioning a couple of them, the one I remembered really uh was recent was Mike White and his dad and there's just hypothermia issues and they just had to uh, they just had to to uh, pass or quit one of the challenges and that ended up with them going home and so yeah when, once he prompted me that yeah, I could remember there have been a few situations like that but apparently nothing particularly crazy for for injuries though apparently somebody fell and like smashed her fa- like cut up her face like on the same t- week as somebody else had uh, an injury so I guess it can get kind of kind of crazy but nothing too over the top it seems um, which is good good to hear right yeah, I think so. I, although, I don't know. I feel like the future of reality television is blood sport, so <laughs> somebody's got to start leading the way. If, if sci-fi movies have taught me anything. <laughs> then we heard from Ken, who watches The Good Wife. So we're up to, I think it's three listeners now. Maybe four. <laughs> that is so Yay. many more than I thought it was. So awesome. Always glad to hear that. And then also Keith and Mario left comments at the website as well. And uh, I, I, the the thing I will excerpt from the from their lovely comments is that they both uh, had comments about uh, Smash and how we always say we're going to try to keep it brief, like try to keep it to two or three minutes, and then we always talk for like six minutes. So <laughs> Smash is uh, having its finale, had its finale this week, uh, Monday night. So those who are tired of the Smash talk will be glad to hear that this is our, our final discussion at least for especially and, us yeah <laughs> nobody's happier than we are <laughs> absolutely um so no new itunes ratings or reviews though we would love for that to change so if you just if you're new to the show and uh, you decide that you like what we're doing please hop over to itunes and leave us a rating or a review there um but we have some fun stuff up at sound on site this week so i put up last week my intro guide to joss whedon um, and then today, will my my list of best world building TV shows will be going up. So that was a lot of fun for me this week. And you 
have some stuff going on too. Yes, well, I, I write weekly Game of Thrones reviews. My review this week is a little late because I was just in Toronto uh, failing at stuff. <laughs> so I, uh, it should be up sometime around tomorrow morning. Uh, short version, it was good. I mean, it's Game of Thrones, come on. Uh, also, of course, uh, our Game of Thrones podcast uh, will be up near the time of the uh, Televerse this week. So uh, I'm pretty excited to listen to that. Beverly from the Doctor Who podcast came in and filled in for me while I was out of town. And I trust she did not say anything overtly racist. We, we, we and, tried. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I can see that happening. And I'm trying to think what else is happening. Um, we, there's, I mean, Fantasia's around the corner, so this is sort of the time of year that we hold our breath and, you know, be, get ready for the onslaught. So, <laughs> I, you know, just uh, look for the usual film and TV coverage. I mean, um, we've got great uh, Mad Men reviews going up. Uh, all sorts. Of, we, we've got, I don't know, how many shows are we recapping right now? At, at least a half dozen. There's the Thursday a comedies have wrapped up, but uh, but there's still quite a bit of stuff. Eureka as well. Well, I um, mean, I, I do three, so. Yeah, right. Just, yeah. we definitely have a half dozen. So, yeah. uh, but, but those yeah. are all finishing up now. So if you guys have suggestions. Yeah. Lots, of, lots of finales this week. If you guys have suggestions of what you'd like us to cover over the summer, please please let us know. Last year, let's see, I covered True Blood, and uh, you covered Breaking Bad. But uh, yeah. I think that was it for, for last summer. So if you guys want to put your two cents in, now is the time. So so you can go yeah. ahead and send us an email or leave us a comment at the website. But, yeah, good stuff. Lots of finale yeah. talk. But that will Yeah, continue. lots of finales, although, frankly, it, it, this wasn't an amazing week of television, <laughs> I don't think. I yeah. mean, there, there were some highlights, but it was a bit rough. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll get there. Um, we should also mention, of course, uh, we got a lot of great feedback about our interview with Chris, with Chris Gore from Attack of the Show and Film Threat and all sorts of different things. That's a busy guy right there. Um, but yep. uh, so we had a lot of fun talking with him. And this week uh, we're going to have put at the end of the show our DVD shelf segment with him talking about Nathan Barley, which was a yes. unique show. I think unique is a good. Yes. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about Chris Morris. Yes. So it was it was a lot of fun and that's coming at the very end of the show. So um yeah, I guess I'm gonna start kick it off with the roundup. Uh that's been our latest thing that we've been doing, so it seems like, you know, why why change why 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 exactly. shift it up? Yeah. Exactly. Yes, these are these are the things that you watch that I don't have time for or uh generally generally skip. Or would rather shoot yourself in the face than, you know. Than watch. Than yes. watch. So <laughs> this week that includes uh, Cougar Town. I just wanted to mention I had a lot of fun with this episode. They had their hurricane parties. We had a lot of focus on Dan Bird and uh, Busy Phillips, uh, their relationship, their characters' relationships. Um, but I wanted to mention it specifically because Cougar Town got picked up and is going to be ha- have a final, I believe, two seasons over at TBS. So I'm really excited for this because I enjoy the show. I like watching... Uh, comedies that uh well i enjoyed watching my boys on uh on tbs so i'm looking forward to to watching the show over there and checking out some of their other comedies that are coming up this summer do you have any thoughts on this uh well it's always nice when a show that has such a rabid cult following gets picked up uh i'm always intrigued also by network switches and i'll be curious to see if i mean i don't follow the show very carefully, but I'll be curious to see if anything changes or if it's going to be business as usual for the show. I mean, are they going to have budgetary or casting concerns, or is it, is it just going to be... I, I basically, I'm wondering, are they going to be able, able to afford all that wine? <laughs> oh, Big Carl. I know Bill Lawrence has said that they aren't going to need to have any casting changes, 
or, or reductions. So that's good news. But I guess we're going to have to wait and see until, you know, they actually get into production to see what the, the full effects of that are, I would assume. Um, but then The Voice had its uh, results show in Jermaine 1. Okay, way to go, America. You picked not Tony Luca, which was correct. But I was a little surprised by this. I didn't think he was that strong in the the final performance but you know that's why I, I didn't vote so i really can't you know can't say anything uh the person i thought should win came in second so yeah it, it was a fun show fun final you know night of performances so we'll see if the show can sustain its its traction when it comes back in the fall without you know taking half of the year off like uh they did last year but uh right yeah they're gonna do two seasons a year aren't they at least for now, because they don't have any other shows that anyone watches. Yes. Oh, God, NBC and their, like, constant failure at stuff is just... I, I feel bad, and I'm also entertained by their attempts to do things. Uh, but I guess, yeah, they've, they've got something that actually is insanely popular, so it's not surprising that they're trying to multiply it as much as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, next, I checked out the pilot or the first episode for Around the World in 80 Plates. I know we have some listeners who are interested in that. Um, I thought it was fun. I like the the setup of the show. It's kind of like a cross between The Amazing Race and Top Chef-ish. So, you know, I like both of those things. Um, my biggest thing with it right now is that I don't actually like any of the chefs. So I, I don't know if that I'll check in with it uh, too regularly, but it might be something where I kind of dip in and watch several episodes in a row, you know, if I'm feeling like, uh, if I'm not, if I'm under the weather and feeling like watching a bunch of, uh, of, of shows and I'm all caught up, then that might be kind of how I watch it, but it, not bad, better than I expected, but it's still not necessarily, uh, appointment viewing for me after that was community curriculum un- unavailable. And, uh, while I, I enjoy, uh, John Hodgman, I, I thought this was again, sort of a, a stranger episode. It, it felt like, a. Uh, not not a successful version of the the clip show episode that they did last year, which I really enjoyed. So I, I like where they're going with this idea of them being forced out of the of Greendale and having to adjust to that. It looks like they're going to be back though by the end of the season. And as much as I enjoy the concept of them having to save the Dean and I assume squaring off against John Goodman, it's, I, I, I felt like, um, the end, like last week and, and this week didn't necessarily work, but I like that they're trying new things. So we'll, we'll see how the rest of the season pays off. And there's the possibility of Dan Harmon not coming back next season, which I find, uh, very strange considering considering the show is so tied into his concerns and his style mm-hmm. uh, and then he, he's just been such a vocal you know he's been such a mouthpiece for the for the show and i know that there's been some controversy around him as well but you know I, if i had to guess between chevy chase and dan Harmon, who's gonna go i would have guessed chevy chase <laughs> yeah we'll uh, have to see but, oh well but yeah, the show's well, coming yeah, back it is coming back for a, at least a half season mm-hmm. uh, with the possibility of a back nine. Uh, so, yeah, NBC renewed uh, almost everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, good good for fans of just about everything, unless you were hoping that 30 Rock was going to last forever, which apparently it won't. But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, next, I have the Vampire Diaries finale, and it's called The Departed. I have my review up at soundoutside.org. Uh, we, don't, we do not have an easy way to stick you in the isolation chamber this week, Simon, so I will keep it spoiler-free. Um, but uh, I will say I liked a lot of this episode. I thought the end 
twist or reveal was really well handled. There was a lot of symmetry to the beginning of the series, which I really appreciated. I thought it was well handled. Um, for me, the I was expecting a death count or a death toll, and there really wasn't one, which was sort of disappointing. I felt like they had built up the stakes <laughs> highly enough that there should, you know, be more violence. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, well, I feel not like enough. The, not enough bloodshed. Can't I, I feel like the show has trained me to expect that. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll see. But I do think that the a lot of the 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 strength of the episode comes from just how well handled a lot of the central relationships are in the episode, and also how in retrospect so much of the last you know string of episodes makes complete sense. Yeah, as leading to the point where the season ended, of course this had to happen, of course that had to happen, sort of thing. But, you know, you kind of the the pieces clicked in after seeing the finale, and I enjoy that. So I think it was a pretty strong finale. Vampire is, is is now three for three with their finales, so it uh I look forward to where they go in, in the in the fall. But now we'll would see. you say season three on par with the other two or was there yeah. different quality or yeah, that's good. I, on par, I would say. Um, I think I would have liked if it had gone a little more crazy. It started really crazy. It started, you know, when you think back to where the season started, it's been a massive journey. I would say the second half of the season has felt a little more mired um, in some of the, the concepts that they introduced along the way uh, this season. But in general, there's been a really strong through line with the Salvatores and Elena and some of the other main characters that I think have kept make, make this season, you know, just as strong as the others. So yeah, I mean, I, you should catch up with it over the summer so we can talk about I it next year. <laughs> I will definitely try to do that. Then there is supernatural. There will be blood, which is the penultimate episode of the season. Um, we brought back, I was going to call him uh, Simon, but you wouldn't know who that was. Cause you still haven't seen Battlestar. Um, Rick Worthy was back as the vampire alpha which I, I enjoyed him the last time he was on. He was fun here. We had appearance of Crowley, which is always fun. I'm still enjoying uh, Kevin, the honors student who is a reluctant prophet. Uh, and so I guess I, I, I'm really enjoying where they're going. I'm a little nervous about how Bobby's going to play into things. But, I mean, just the fact that they named their their ultimate big bad for this season Dick. And, you know, he's the kind of character who just revels you know, it's dick, you know, it's just, it's just every time I laugh because apparently I'm a 12 year old boy who can't help but giggle at that name. Uh, so there's a lot about this last run of episodes. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, I would say this episode is another in that, in that line. So I'm looking forward to the finale for that. And then the last one I'm going to mention here is the How I Met Your Mother finale, Tell Me a Story and The Magician's Code, which were mostly really disappointing. And the, the the end of episode, end of season reveal of the bride at Barney's wedding was not a surprise and was really made a lot of the season feel like a waste. So uh, I I've, at this point, I could probably stop watching the show and never watch it again. Um, but there were still some fun elements. I mean, when, when you're watching Jason Segel and NPH and Neil Patrick Harris have so much fun you know, it's kind of hard to not get swept up in that. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. And I also, Kobe Smulders got to 
<laughs> practice birthing horses, which was pretty fun, I guess. But in general, High Mountain Mother's just gone so far downhill since it, it's its former heights that it's really kind of disappointing. So that's the end of my wrap-up, ending on a bit of a sour note. Wah-wah. Wah-wah. So I've been talking quite a bit. Let's uh, bring you into the equation with the new girl finale, Sia. What did you think? I don't know. I, I really dug a lot of this first season of New Girl, especially after sort of what I'll call the Kaplan bump. <laughs> but um, And by which I mean the point after I started watching again. But, oh, the last couple of weeks, I didn't think were all that great. I think they point to a larger problem with the show where anything that has to do with, with the guys and to some degree, Deschanel just sort of riffing with each other and hanging out in the apartment is, or, you know, sort of bouncing around with their various relationships, et cetera. All that stuff is great and often very funny, but whenever the show tries to get serious, it usually falters, or, or at least generally in these last few episodes. And Everything with, um, with Schmidt and Cece, I thought just was so forced and, Mm-hmm. It's it's such a minor conflict that it felt impossible to care about, and we we can safely assume they'll be back together sometime by the middle of next season, if not sooner. Uh, yeah. And and everything with uh, I'm sorry, I can only ever think. Oh, Mary Elizabeth Ellis and um, and wow, I've already forgotten his name. Nick. Uh, Jake Johnson. Nick. And sorry, with everything with uh, Mary Elizabeth Ellis and Nick was just again like every beat was telegraphed 15 minutes earlier. And it, I don't know, it's one of those frustrating finales that just completely dogmatically avoids serious change right after flirting with it, which I always find frustrating. Yeah, I will say I, I enjoyed uh, Schmidt white-fanging uh, CC. Was, I, I laughed there, but as soon as it took the turn to the, you read a text message, I will never forgive you, um, I was Yeah, it, that, that storyline had, had so many great outs for them to say we're being idiots mm-hmm. you know work this out because we're adults and they didn't take any of them and it would have been so much more honest yeah for them to just do that and and it, you know there's enough drama going on in the episode although not good drama that you don't need that also and it just I know, it felt off kilter in kind of a weak way for them to go out when i think so much of the season has been fairly strong though at least thank goodness uh jess didn't actually throw her keys because that was just really annoying to me when that happened. It was like, nobody would ever throw their key. No, 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 no. One person throwing their keys was bad enough. So, anyways. But hopefully, you know, it's, it was a big hit for, for Fox. It's coming back. Hopefully, they will, you know, course correct. And as soon as the, maybe the the premiere will be a bit relationshipy heavy. But hopefully after that, they'll just get back to having fun. Because I agree, that's when the show's at its best. I mean, ideally, it it could do both great, but mm-hmm. it's not there yet. Yeah. Up next, we have uh, 30 Rock and the return of Avery Jessup. What did you think? Oh, I didn't think this was very good. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. I find, like, it was heavy on the North Korea humor, which sometimes is really funny and other times is, you know, just kind of kind of off-putting. And I feel like it was sort of half and half for me. Um. And besides that, I'm having a really difficult time remembering what happened, which well, is never a good sign. Liz and her plant, they're continuing that storyline, which I'm only going to be satisfied with if she ends the season pregnant, frankly. Um, uh, but, but I mean, I, I enjoy Elizabeth There are Banks. other ways for them to handle it. I mean, you know, they could decide to adopt or 
she could decide that she's barren and commit suicide. I don't know. There's other things they could do. Yeah, I just, I, it needs to go somewhere this time. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and, and hey, they've only got, apparently, they've only got one season left, and it's a short one. Mm-hmm. So uh, they that's uh, that's the best thing that could happen for the show right now, as far as I'm concerned. So they've yeah. got just the right amount of time to have a really nice, concentrated last run of episodes, um, which, you know, other things on NBC could use as well. <clears throat> the Office. Um <laughs> So, yeah, hopefully they'll take advantage of that. But this, I thought, was kind of kind of a weak episode. Yeah. Um, next, we have Eagleheart and Little Dude. And speaking of uh, weak efforts, I was not a fan of this episode. You know, we're going to talk about Sherlock later, but there are essentially two werewolf episodes this week, and this was one of them. And I'm just, I'm always impressed at the amount of plot that Eagleheart can cram into basically 10 minutes of screen time. And I feel like... Eagleheart did more with its werewolf storyline in that amount of time than Sherlock did in almost 90, which is sort of a miracle in and of itself. Um, I, I feel like one very valid and easy criticism to level at Eagleheart is that they really don't give Maria Thayer, who is awesome, uh, a whole lot to do. She's kind of in the same sort of straight lady role that she basically had on Strangers with Candy. So I thought it was great to see her get to do some insane physical comedy this week as well as get the closest thing that this show gets to, like, dramatic beats in terms of her alienation from the crew. So that was great. I mean, I I, I choose to take this episode as being sort of an amusing parody of transphobia rather than actually transphobic, but I guess that's the conversation for a different podcast. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. And also amidst all this, we we, we found time for a great scene of Brett Gelman's psychosis with with the mirror gag. So I don't know. I have no complaints. Yeah, it just wasn't that funny uh, to me. It pretty much went exactly where you kind of expected it was going to, which is not. I mean, I mean, for Eagleheart, that is. I mean, I'm sure. So you were, so you were expecting a character to go through a gender transformation that then also became essentially a werewolf transformation, and for them to have an identity crisis, and you re- really you were you saw all this coming. Uh, pretty much, you know, I didn't necessarily. <laughs> see the werewolf thing coming until we saw exactly how they made her up to be a, to be a shim with the the extra brow ridge and you know you could kind of see the caveman thing going it, it, i don't know it just it, the beats that it hit were so uh expected for for me it's like you know the 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 notion of her all of a sudden she feels accepted and so she'd rather be you know this this uh in, in steroid injecting so it's quasi freak, you know, because then she gets to hang out with the gang, and that goes horribly awry, like things always do on Eagleheart. I don't know. It just, I, I wasn't laughing that much, and I agree that that uh, Maria Thayer's uh, underutilized. Um, it's just this, whatever reason, this one didn't really hit for me. It's, it is, I think, sort of a, a hit or miss show. I think it's usually pretty consistent, but for me, when it doesn't work, it really doesn't work, and I'm from the outside looking in. And, <laughs> You know, so so that's one of these weeks, I guess. Fair enough. I don't know. We got all those things, plus we got a, a, a child with a horn in its head vomiting for no good reason. So I was a happy camper. Fair enough. Next, we have uh, Awake and Say Hello to My Little Friend, uh, which featured a lot of Kevin Wiseman, who I've been a huge fan of since Alias. So I had a lot of fun with this episode. What did you think? Um, you know, the, the response to this seemed really positive, but... I found the episode, like, strangely grating. Maybe it's just because there were about, I don't know, seven too many flashbacks to everyone singing Bohemian Rhapsody off-key, um, <laughs> which which I'm sure you 
found especially grating. Oh, no. no. Not at all. That's how you should sing Bohemian Rhapsody. You should be screaming yeah. it at the top of your lungs while headbanging in the car. Yeah, fair if enough. If you're not driving. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the whole reveal of... I mean, I, I like the idea of sort of changing up the rhythm of the show with um, with him and ending up trapped in wife universe for basically the entire episode, but uh, just something about the the execution of it with it so it I found it very plotting, okay. and the reveal at the end didn't really do anything for me. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I, it it was an important episode for the show to do for what little time it has left, I guess. But I mean, it's it's canceled, which is not a surprise. We've predicted that for probably since the premiere. Um, at least, I guess, Killen got 13 episodes this time instead of two, which is nice for him. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't know. This episode it was better than the last couple, and it was more eventful, but it, it didn't feel in line with sort of the best episodes in sort of the mid-season that were a little bit more playful, a little bit more uh, fantastical in a fun kind of way. This, this episode to me felt much more sort of what I was worried about when it started, sort of mired in... in a little too much darkness and a little bit too much self-seriousness. Okay. I mean, I just enjoyed the return to some surreal elements. And I also, I mean, maybe I'm just a sap, but all of the, the story with uh, Emma and and uh, the performances from the, the, the leads there just really worked for me. So, but yeah. I definitely, I mean, it's definitely not gone where I hoped it might given its early trajectory, but it, it also hasn't really you know, stumbled and just become another by the numbers procedural uh, with at least half of its ep- episode each week, I would say. So and we'll see yeah. how it finishes up. Yeah, well, I, I don't know how they're going to bring any kind of satisfactory closure to it. And I mean, the impression I'm under is that they're going to wrap up the conspiracy angle, but not necessarily, you know, yeah. the, the actual, you know, sort of premise <laughs> of the show, because I think they were really hoping it was going to catch on. Mm-hmm. But you know, maybe maybe they had time to fix it up. I don't know. It's it's yeah, like like you said, it hasn't really panned out the way we'd hoped. But it's certainly not the mess that other shows have turned out to be. Yeah. So and look at that segue right into the Fringe finale, Endgame Part Two. Uh, All so fringe. That kind of tells you what I thought, and I have my full review up at Sound on Sight. What, what did you think? Oh, Fringe. Um, season four is such a weird beast, isn't it? I mean. I know that some people tuned out right away when they sort of did the Nooniverse thing, which I, which wasn't an issue for me. I, I, was, I was willing to stick around and sort of see where they were going with it because it really felt like they had a very deliberate plan. And getting to the end of the season makes me less sure about that. Or at least if they did have a very deliberate plan, they didn't plan it enough. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Um I mean, the parts of the episode are actually really great. I, I, I love, I mean, the whole with the whole reveal of Rebecca Mater turning out to be, you know, a double agent or whatever was predictable, but her death scene and resurrection was so, was one of the creepiest things in Fringe history. It was and, amazing. It was, com- and, it was my favorite I, part of the episode. And I, and I was genuinely, I could not tell if, if she was just doing those, those facial twitches on her own or if there was some sort of, because just the speed and the and the 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 independence <laughs> of direction yeah. of those switches made me think that there was some sort of digital additive. But if not, hey, props to Mater because that was some impressive physical acting. And yeah. there were some other nice moments too. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just because it made me think of the Deadwood premiere. But the whole sequence with uh, with Walter 
pushing a bullet out of Olivia's skull. And I mean, the concept of it ultimately was pretty ridiculous in concert with the whole lemon cake thing from last week, but the execution was appealingly gruesome. And it's not often that you get to see a series lead, you know, get a bullet in the skull and then a metal rod through it afterwards, complete with sound effects. Well, see, but, you, yeah, you should watch it, more sci-fi. That's what, that te- that's what that's telling me. I guess. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, individual scenes worked, but it really it, it really ended the, ser- the season on a... I mean, if you think of the, the other finales are all great. Uh, I would say, especially the season season one and two finales uh, are, are yeah. high points easily of those seasons. Season three finale is fairly strong. This was just a total whimper in comparison. Yeah, and... You know, you mentioned the lemon cake thing as having been set up from last week, but really this is a two-part finale. This is really one extended episode, and that I mean that just goes to show some of my issues with this. Through the entire run of the series, Cortexafan has been one thing, and then this week, in this in the finale, they decide, uh, we gotta kill Olivia but bring her back. I know, let's make Cortexafan regenerative, even though that's never been a thing unless i'm forgetting but i'm pretty sure that's never been a thing uh it's and that will also let us bring william bell back even though there's no reason to um so just so much of you know in retrospect while i have enjoyed the journey uh really i've enjoyed spending time with these characters every there's been a few episodes this season that i've really enjoyed and the one that of course stands out i'll mention it yet again is the stephen root and romy rosemont episode uh, which I just loved from this season. Um, but and and again, like that was a great episode, but it was also very similar to to White Tulip. I think like it wasn't. It was great, but it, I don't think it was great in a new way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked it better so, than White Tulip, but I think I'm alone on well, that. Yes, you completely are. Um, <laughs> but but I but so much of the season just doesn't make sense, uh, or, or doesn't uh, seem to have been. Yeah, you know, something that was planned out, or you know, with so much time devoted to David Robert Jones, he's in the finale all, all of a sudden revealed as a, a peon and you know and killed off uh, unceremoniously, yeah. and all of a sudden you know it's just you know the 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 universes are are closed off, except when it's convenient for them to have them to have people able to travel back and forth then they're not closed off anymore. You know, so just too many contrivances and things that, you know, that, that the fringe writers should be able to get right and have gotten right in yeah. the past. Well, and I think if you look at motivations for villains, I think that's another huge weakness of this season. I mean, when, it, when in mm-hmm. season two, you had this whole other universe that was super pissed off at being, you know, randomly killed by freaky events for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was an amazing you know that was an amazing sort of an- antagonistic force to have around, and it made for some really thrilling television. And this season, I mean, you know, you have basically mad scientists playing God, which is Bat-y something we've seen a million times before. Batupines, yeah. yes, who were again like not even anyway. It was so so unimportant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's just been a mess. I, I I hate to be so down on a show that takes so many chances, and I have a lot of respect for the insane limbs that goes out on even. I would say it even goes on crazier limbs than Lost did, mm-hmm. but and for, and for longer periods of time. And I have a great respect for that, but I think it was more they misfired a lot more this season on that. Well, and the thing for me that more than anything else, it actually, um, 
it's watching this finale and thinking about it and writing my review has kind of made me finally understand what people are talking about when they don't like uh when they say they they have a problem with inception because it's really well acted it's really well produced the 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 effects the makeup the costuming the scoring every element the lighting and cinematography is all excellent even some of the dialogue is a lot of the dialogue is really great. You know, let's not talk about Nina and her her ruby slippers. You had the power all along. Um, but for the most part, the, even the, the scripting is really great. But the problem is just the story that they've decided to tell is terrible and doesn't make any sense. So you have this really well executed kind of terrible show. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, 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 that's that's maybe a little too harsh, but. I, I I do think they've they've definitely gone somewhat astray. Although also for some reason the J.J. Abrams lens flares were all over this episode. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> I don't know what prompted that. But anyway, I mean they've only got again another show that's got one more season to sort of firm things up and mm-hmm. find a good direction to go. So hopefully they can do that without relying too much. They're gone observers. Yeah, yeah. I mean we'll 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 see where they're going with it. I. I I have faith that they can rally together a pretty decent last season if they, you know, take notes from people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, I'm still I'm very glad the show's coming back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if only so that they don't end like that. Like, <laughs> <come> on. <laughs> Let's move on to Sunday and Bob's Burgers. Bad Tina. I think I I I I think I'm officially I think I've come out before to say I'm totally in favor of Tina centric content and you know sort of. Whenever they focus on Tina and her sort of budding sexuality, I pretty much always find it charming and hilarious. And mm-hmm. th- I think this episode shows what happens when you center an entire episode around it, which I think I think it's maybe best applied judiciously. Uh, I think maybe getting a whole 22 minutes of it was a little much. That being said, I, I, I still thought it was pretty fun and still far and away one of the, one of the best comedies I saw this week. Um, I... I, I Especially, I, I like the conciliatory tone they sort of strike near the end where, um, you know, Tina at first is told, oh, no, you know, your your fantasies are great. You should totally tell everyone about them. Uh, you know, follow your heart, et cetera, et cetera. And then they realize, no, that's horrible advice. Like, it, it sounds great on paper, but in reality, it's horrible, horrible advice. And the way that uh, they realize that is just by repeating it. Okay, just say it again. Yeah, exactly. There's no great revelation. It's like, oh, wait, no, that was a stupid thing that I said. <laughs> yeah. No, I had a lot of fun with this episode. Um, I got to watch this episode with my dad, who hasn't really seen the show before. So it was sort of a strange one for him to jump into, but as soon uh, as... <laughs> Uh, but as soon as Gene started talking, <laughs> he was in. So it was actually it was a, it was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, just I mean, like we were talking on Skype uh, later that Sunday night. And you just mentioned the erotic good wife fiction. Uh, that was uh, yeah, yeah, one yeah, of her Tina, binders. Yeah Tina, yeah, Tina writes erotic fiction for everything, and I think it's the last one on her shelf is Good Wife, which honestly, the Good Wife kind of already is erotic fan fiction for like another procedural, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> But uh, it, I, I appreciated that chat. So Tina also watches Good Wife. So yeah, everyone, everyone at home who watches it, you're in good company. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I I look forward to still having the show on the air while all the other comedies finish up here for the most part. Um, is, is, is it, is, have we heard yet if it's getting renewed? I'm not sure because of how the production for for the animated shows works. Um, I know that there are still a bunch more episodes from this season to watch. So okay. I, 
I, I would I have a feeling it's coming back as a mid season next year again, but I'm I'm not sure about that. I, I, I hope it is. I mean if if it leaves and all the Seth MacFarlane shows are still there, I'm gonna be pretty bummed out. <laughs> um next on Sunday we have Girls Hard Being Easy, uh, which was a bit of a, a a strange one for me. Uh I, I mean I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was well made. I probably not quite as much as last week for for me, but definitely it was a lot of characters acting strangely and not really knowing what they wanted. So what, what did you think? Uh, well, first of all, the, the scene in which Lena Dunham's care, uh, when, when, when Hannah confronts her boss was <laughs> easily, easily one of the most awkward bits of television I've seen all year. And I actually had to, I actually had to pause as soon as it was clear what was about to happen. I had to pause and brace myself for it. Because I, I, I don't know, I have a hard time with things that are that awkward. But I actually thought the execution of that scene ended up being quite perfect. Uh, the, the show kind of stretched its wings a little bit, which was nice to see. I mean, we, we got a flashback, which we've never seen before. And we also got, I'd say, a little bit more dramatic content than usual with sort of Marnie and her you know, fairly, fairly useless boyfriend. Mm. And sort of the attempted reconciliation that doesn't quite come off and then the creepy sex. And I, I thought that was all very well executed and then of course we got one of the more awkward masturbation scenes in recent memory yeah. um yeah it was yeah definitely the most awkward episode so far and again like it's sort of the show's sort of pushing its own boundaries a little bit seeing how far they can jet out in various directions and i mean it definitely wasn't as reliably funny nor i i think was it trying to be as some of the other episodes but it, i'm I, I i'm i'm glad the show is still sort of expanding and seeing what else it can do totally yeah, I look forward to uh, Hannah having to go back to that job. <laughs> I, we'll see if that's where they go. But considering she so recently was about to have to leave New York because she didn't have any money, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll see what happens the most, there. Well, that would be the most realistic thing. I don't, I don't know if that's actually what's going to happen or not. It would be cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would also like to see that. Yeah. Um, let's see. We have uh, next Veep and Chung. <laughs> I, I don't know. I had a lot of fun with this. Um, I, I feel like Veep is, is also sort of – I don't think it did as much work as girls did sort of doing new things, but I do feel like the show's universe is gradually expanding. You know, we, we're getting more we're, – we're, it's very clear that the sort of the policy initiatives and stuff are going to be through lines for the entire season. and We get more sort of character interactions sort of going different directions and seeing how the power dynamics work. Um, and – but more importantly, I found the episode really, really, really funny. We also had another almost girls-level uh, moment of awkwardness, of course, at Meet the Press, mm-hmm. which uh, which was fantastic. And I and I love the sound guy's uh, response to, uh, <laughs> to Tony Hale trying to uh, trying to cover up the situation. I don't know. I think they're they're making really they're, they're making gradually better and better use of the ensemble. So I, I'm really enjoying how the show's shaping up. It's definitely considerably broader than the thick of it to me, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I think my favorite is still uh, frozen yogurt so far, but I I did enjoy this episode quite a bit, um, and uh, just the, the I, I enjoyed little things like Selena's uh, frustration at the end of the episode. Uh, just you know, I'm the vice president. Yes, come yes. on. Was it just me, or and I hate to keep making comparisons. Was it just me, or was there a little Malcolm Tucker in her? This there was week? a little bit there. Yeah. Just absolutely just breaking everyone down and, of course, getting very sweary while she's doing it. Uh, I guess my one uh, 
the one thing from Thick of It that I am really missing right now is the creativity of the swearing. So far, the, the swearing is very sort of st- standard-issue American swearing. I, I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like to see them get a little bit more creative with it because that's sort of that's always sort of been the lit, well, one of the linchpins of Thick of It, which I hate to keep drawing the comparison, but I can't help it because Thick of It is so great and it's the Inuji deal with it. Well, uh, yeah, but then that's also, I think, that's an excellent pairing between Ianucci and Peter Capaldi, who's just fabulous. And one of these days, you really should watch Children of Earth to see his fantastic, completely dramatic performance in that. And, and it's a very similar kind of character, bureau- bureaucratic character. But um, I know it's the dreaded Hooniverse, um, so you probably won't. But anyways, oh. I, I, I feel like they are, because they don't have that kind of a character on the show, which I think is probably a, a wise decision to separate themselves from the thick of it. Um, I, I feel like when you have a little bit of that come in, it makes sense that it's with Selena, that it's with the boss. Um, and that when it comes out, it's always at the end of episodes. It's always after you know, they've had to deal with incredibly frustrating and snowballing situations. Um, so, so while I do miss that character, I feel like instead you kind of have Jonah in the role of the person who just kind of breezes through and shakes everything up and makes everybody's life quite difficult. Well, Jonah's also, yeah, Jonah's also sort of the mouth breather equivalent of some of the characters we got in the thick of it. That's universe. true. He's very, he's very important to have her. And also the fact that he's so tall and ungainly Mm-hmm. Just stupid things like wear shorts to meetings is, is also <laughs> sort of important for the for the sort of comic dynamic we're used to from the Anucci. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I, I, I've been very. I mean, it's it's been a nice even keel for me so far. Like it, it's it it built up a little, and it's it doesn't it's not really doing anything super ambitious so far. But I don't think it really has to as long as it's, it's entertaining. Yeah, well, and it, we only have a few episodes left. It's only an eight episode order, so uh, I imagine pretty soon here we'll be, we'll be missing it and waiting for it to come back. But next we have Mad Men and Dark Shadows, and it's another Betty episode, which has been somewhat divisive. A lot of I've been reading a lot of people who really loved the episode, and then there are a, a few vocal people who really did not. What did you think? I think you can pretty easily draw that line. I, I think people who like the episode, and people who hate the episode, you can probably pretty conclusively say that the people who really like Betty and people who really hate Betty. I think she's always been the most divisive character on the show. Personally, at this point, I don't think there's any character on television I sympathize with more than, than Betty Francis. Like, any. And that includes, like, I, I sympathize or empathize with her way more than any character on, on Girls or any sort of similarly sort of hallowed series. I, just, I, 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 really, I really felt for her all through the episode, especially just her her simple little struggles with food, like that, off that, just that horrible little moment with the whipped cream, and I don't know. It's just I, I'm way more. As I, I think I said last time, I'm way more invested, and I'm really, and I'm rooting for. I think in previous seasons, I was actively rooting for her to be miserable, which I now feel horrible about because I'm now rooting for her to, you know, get through everything. And you know, we sort of get signs that her that her marriage to Henry Francis is actually, you know potentially okay this week which is you know he's not a he's not a total waste of space and they actually communicate and you know he's obviously not as helpful as maybe he could be in all respects but you know i'm 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 rooting for them and, and especially her and um i think between that and the stuff with ginsburg i'm willing to, to give the episode a pass okay so um i hate betty <laughs> <laughs> okay why do you hate betty She's just such a terrible mother. She's a terrible person. And I sympathize with her struggles. I actually thought it was really um, well 
it was really interesting to look at, you know, somebody trying to do Weight Watchers at that time. And it's not like she could just put on, you know, some sweats and go out for a jog. You didn't do that. So yeah, trying totally. to, trying to lose weight while not really, you know, have being able to just go out and, and exercise and get your cardio up and burn some calories too. It's just, you know, that must be incredibly difficult. And I mean, I th I think there's a lot to identify with there. And she didn't just immediately turn around and say, I know I'll do my best to destroy any semblance of happiness that my, my ex has, or even just the fact that my daughter likes my, my, uh, my ex's new, new wife. I can't have that. So I'm just going to be a bitch. Then maybe I'll feel more sympathetic. But okay, how, that is how her I, completely immature response. How how can I explain this without being self-incriminating? Um, <laughs> uh, the, the, the thing with with Betty Francis is when when you're just in a horrible place in life, which she which she so clearly is, just every aspect no, of her life. No, is she's not. No, no, yes, it's not. No. Come on. Okay. She, I, I, she's I, married to somebody who adores her, which maybe is not the she's best. She's sort thing of ambivalent in, about. Yes, but. Worst thing in the world? No. She is healthy. Yes, she's overweight. Yes, but she's not, you know, doesn't have any sort of crippling disease or anything. She lives in a, she's financially comfortable and secure. Granted, she does not have the life she's wanted and she's, and she's not happy, but she is not in the worst situation. No, no, she's not in the worst situation, but she's definitely not in a good situation. And just, I don't know, personally, the scenes of 1960s Weight Watchers, I found horrific. Just everything about it was just insanely grating and sexist. And I don't know, just when, when you're in a situation like that where just every aspect of your life seems to go against the fiber of your being, which that's how, I, that's how her scenes feel to me, I, I don't think it's excusable, but it feels natural that you lash out against the people around you. And also Except that, I don't that, think she knows how to be happy. I don't think there no, is a situation she, in which she could be happy. Thing, that's, that's the most tragic possibility of all, that you don't know how to be happy. And I think that's why uh, she appeals to me so much. And then uh, also the scene of her just looking on Megan with just sheer envy and probably, you know, more than a little bit of hatred. I found that incredibly touching. I, I, maybe if they, you know, she hadn't spent the past four seasons being terrible to everyone always i would feel more sympathetic towards her but i just really can't oh uh, well betty francis somebody loves you anyway let's talk about <laughs> other stuff in the episode yeah. i i really love the uh the dynamic that's that's brewing between ginsburg and don um, oh, man. I, I mean we we assumed i think the show sort of set up sets up this assumption that we were mostly going to be getting time with between him and peggy mm -hmm. but they've sort of been working side by side and just yeah, everything with them was just uh, every scene with them dealing with each other. I thought was crackerjack, and one of the best lines in ages uh, on the show when when Don totally just puts him down. I don't ever think about you. <laughs> Damn, that, that was a good one. Damn, Don. I will say the the thing I most enjoyed in those scenes was watching Peggy watch the situation unfold. Yeah. Uh, I, Elizabeth Moss, Moss just completely nailed her her reactions, and I mean, for me, it was disappointing to watch them act like the children that they clearly are. Um, and you knew it was going to happen. That was, you know, so so it was very well done, and it's interesting, and you know, it's nice to see Don slightly off his ass. But uh, it was also sort of disappointing to to watch him be so completely immature. You would have hoped that he would have progressed beyond that, but apparently not. 
do you really think Ginsburg is being childish? Yes. I think he's totally in the right to be upset. I mean, it. You can be upset, but you don't get to complain to your boss about it. I think. I, I think if you're in, if you're you know new new to a workplace and you're finding out that your work is being dumped in cabs, I think you totally have the right to complain to whoever you want about it. No. <laughs> no, you you would not complain, really. Yeah, I would not complain because that's it. Doesn't matter what I think. It's about the whole, work as a whole. Maybe this is just my perspective as an orchestral musician, but it doesn't matter what you sound like. It matters what the whole sounds like. And yes, it sucks. And you complain to to your friends and and to your to your family maybe, but you don't go and snipe at the boss. You're lucky to he's lucky to have a job. Granted, he's very smart and he will, you know, you use that to, to drive yourself to to make the next one even better. So he can't leave it in the cab. But, you know, he, he knew what he was signing up for. We have a philosophical clash here. I'm not sure I, <laughs> I see a, a, a concert symphony or a symphony orchestra being analogous to a, you know, to an ad to a, you know, to a group of copywriters. But we'll 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 put this aside for a moment. <laughs> Uh, I also loved, um, by the way, when did Alexis Bledel become an adult? Holy crap. <laughs> I think, when did that happen? A while ago. I loved Pete's little uh, dream sequence. And I, you know, mm -hmm. it was obvious within two seconds that that's what it was, but if that had turned out to be real, it would have been the worst scene in that minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. I, I would agree. I like the little bit we get of Ken this week as well. He's always fun when he pops up. But uh, And Bert, too. Yep. A little bit of Bert, as we've mentioned, goes a long way. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a solid episode, but then again, I like Betty a lot. So. Yeah. Whoops. I mean, it's not bad. Uh, I just, I, I, it, it's another one where just, um, I maybe I need a little more perspective on where the season is going, and then I'll, I may have a different opinion at the end of the 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 uh, season. But it, it felt like a series of moments to me more than a yeah. a full episode. I don't know. This felt much more like a transitional episode. I mean, last week you called um, the episode transitional. This week, this felt much more like a transitional episode to me, if only because so much less happened mm -hmm. uh, in terms of actual character change. I mean, last week, Megan actually quit her job. This week, she's teaching Kieran and Shipka how to cry, which was, I loved all those scenes, and she's so great. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, less in general happening, except for on the Betty front. So, um, but And also, the, the kids finding out about Anna was interesting, and I'm yeah. curious to see how that evolves, if at all. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll have to see where they pick up. But let's, let's move on to Sherlock and the Hounds of Baskerville. Um, I really like this one. It's it's not quite as great as the fir first episode for me, but I still had a lot of fun with it. I, I enjoyed Russell Tovey. Um, but I'm curious what you thought as someone who hasn't read the story a bunch of times. Uh, or ever, really. I didn't even think this was half as good as the first episode. Um I don't know, and I, I hate to make, you know, I know I'm denigrating the TV gods by making this comparison in, in an unflattering way, but there was a real Scooby-Doo quality to this episode where, you know, because within the first half hour you know, okay, well, obviously there's not really a werewolf because this isn't that sort of show, so there's only so many possibilities, and there's also one insanely obvious suspect from <laughs> the first 15 minutes, and that rolled out pretty much the way you expect it to. There's also just some, like, the visual elements of the show are really, really well executed in the uh, in the first episode of the season, and this week they were sort of all over the place. I really, really hated the sequence where uh, Sherlock accesses his palace of wisdom or whatever it's called. <laughs> his mind palace, yeah. That looked, and I mean, the concept was stupid, and it looked horrible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, they should never do that again. 
um, I don't know. It was it, it had its moment. Yeah, it had its moments, but it definitely felt uh, sort of less rollicking and a lot more predictable than last week. I wasn't a big fan of the 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 image splicing with Sherlock and Watson by the fire and around the the middle of the episode. Um, it just the I guess they were trying to make it seem like it was a deep focus shot or something when it was clearly two separate frames, you know, stuck on top of each other. Um, but I think the reason that I really enjoyed this episode is that I, well, first of all, I think Cumberbatch is fantastic and I love seeing Sherlock uncertain, not just he hasn't figured it out yet, but he, he, he knows what he saw and he can't trust. He knows that what he saw can't be, Right, and to, yeah, but it's drugs. You know, if it, yeah, yeah if it's but like, but still, that like moment. Intellectual, yeah, I don't know. That didn't really do much for me. If it was like a genuine intellectual confusion, I agree that would be very interesting. But you know, it's drugs in the fog. Like, eh. Yeah, but yeah, but that he doesn't know what it is yet, and so for me, that moment of his utter, utter, you know, inability to process and understand what's going on, I think was really effective. And I think ben- Benedict Cumberbatch's performance really sold it. And so even just for that, you know, seeing him that, a character that confident, always that confident to be that shaken. And granted, he figures it out and, you know, whatever. And you know, a lot of the viewers will have figured it out, you know, around the same time he does too. But but it's still really, I guess, you know, didn't for you, but it really worked for me. Yeah. And also the the first episode to me felt like, you know, 88 minutes of television or whatever that that were really packed and, like, packed a lot of character and plot information into, like, a, what's actually not that long a period of time, you know, mm-hmm. cinematographically, whereas this felt stretched out to 90 minutes. Like, it felt like they were throwing in story beats just to fill the time. Like, that middle portion where, you know, Watson gets kind of annoyed with Sherlock and goes away for a bit, and they have to make up, and it's like, oh, okay, oh. we get it. Yeah, well, that, I mean, some of that's from the the... The Morse code thing is from the book. So there's some other things that maybe, you know, could have yeah. used more oh, yeah, judicious I, I totally, editing. In, but... <laughs> in retrospect, I totally don't get the point of the inclusion of the, like, sex ring or whatever the hell that was. That was another... That's It was an in-joke about the book. And it separated them in such a way that, you know, the one they didn't get dope. It was a purely plot mechanic thing with a little yeah. bit of yeah. a and joke that, for the fans. And the thing is... Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm under the impression there were just as many in jokes in the first episode, but they didn't slow the episode down, whereas this week they did. I, I hear where you're coming from. I def- definitely do. Um, so I'll be interested to see what you think of of next week's, which is uh, very Moriarty centric. It's the the Reich uh, the Reichenbach Fall, which is of course the the famous. Uh, oof, Never mind. I'm not even going to say what it is because people who well, know I, the books will know what it is and people who don't, well, I, don't want know, to be spoiled. I think I, I think I actually do know what it is, but I'll shut up about it in case I'm wrong because I don't want yeah. to sound like an idiot. <laughs> Sounds good. So let's move on uh, to, uh, well, first of all, we mentioned, as we said at the beginning, that the Game of Thrones podcast will be out. Actually, it should already be out at this point, um, covering A Man of Honor. I also really liked it. You liked it. Um, you can listen to that at Sound on Sight or just by checking out the Televerse feed in iTunes. Um, so let's move on to our talk of the finale of Smash Bombshell. You know, people wonder why we talk about Smash so much. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wonder. Some of, you wonder. I wonder too. And I think the reason is, 
for all of its faults, I think the reason Smash interests me so much is because it's attempting something that not too many shows ever really have, which is, you know, to, you know, amass a coherent, viable musical out of a season of television, as well as tell the story of how the musical was made and blah, blah, blah. It's an insanely ambitious show. So I want to give it credit right away for that. I think the problem with the show isn't the one you'd expect. I think we get to the finale and, you know, we have the sort of run through of Bombshell and I, and I thought to myself, okay, Bombshell the musical is actually okay. It's not the greatest musical ever, but it's certainly credible enough to build a TV show around. I think nearly all the problems with the show are with the TV show surrounding the musical rather than the musical itself, which is sort of a surprise to me. Um, for, I mean, the major problem to me with this finale is the idea that a whole bunch of people think that Karen's a better Marilyn than Ivy. That's the major problem, and it sort of has always been a major problem with the show, and it's, I guess, I'm not sure that with the casting of these two parts there was any way around it. I mean, Megan Hilty's just so much more compelling a singer and stage presence than uh, Catherine McPhee is, so I guess they were sort of doomed from the start, but they never really, really were able to correct it any other way, which is too bad. Um, I don't know, but what did you think before I you know, start r- rambling? No, I think that's a good point. Uh, I, I, there's both of them actually. I do think that the show itself, for the most part, works. I, the, the final song here, it's not quite you know my eyes level of bad as far as the last song in a musical. Really it's not. Not good though, is it? But it's not good. <laughs> it's definitely not good, and the lyrics are not particularly interesting at all. And it's supposed to be no. a you know light bulb moment for them so yeah you know. I mean, melodically it's not horrible although it's not memorable um but lyrically to me it was just so off it it's you know they're trying to do this new statement about Marilyn Monroe and they end up sort of just parroting these hoary old points about how stars are special and they need special treatment and they're better than regular people which was just so wrong well it, even outside of that it a more effective ending would be before the song started that was really effective, I thought. And uh, Catherine McPhee did a much better job with that closing scene and on the bed than uh, Rebecca Duvall sorry, did, Uma Thurman did. I don't know if that's Uma Thurman's take on it or, or Rebecca's take on it, but, uh, right. but Karen's was definitely better. And I think that would have been an effective way to end the show. But instead, they tack on this number that's so cheesy and... Oh, it really falls. And spells out all of the themes for you handily. Yeah. And, and, but also still gets them wrong, which is kind yep. of a feat. Yeah. I mean, in the previous episode when they were all like, nobody's clapping, I was like, that's fine. Yeah, you know, why didn't, sh- anyone, why didn't anyone be? think to say, you know, the lady dies. They don't have to clap right away. Yeah. Well, if, anyway. if you go see Evita, if they do it well, if you do it right, at least in my opinion, I'm sure people have other opinions, the, the show ends... There's a overhead uh, light on her coffin. You can decide whether or not you want the curtain to come down. There's no bows because she's dead, so she can't come take a bow. Uh, and it's stunned silence. It should be the, you know, the effect of the end of that show. And this is a similar kind of thing. It ends with her dying. So it shouldn't be a triumphant sort of ending, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. So, but 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 let's get to the actual, you know show about the show and i i do agree that i mean Catherine mcphee i think has been fine on the on the show i think she's good this week i think you know she plays what they give her with dev pretty well um but but you're you're right in that 
it doesn't make any sense for Derek to see her as Marilyn unless he's just an idiot, which I guess he's just yeah. just an idiot. But, but just, be, you know, normally that's something that the writers, you know, see the, the, the dailies as they're coming in and they can, you know, write to what their actors are giving them. And so you'd think the writers would have at some point picked up on the fact that Ivy's a much better Marilyn than Karen is. Yeah, it seemed like they were just dead set on this path, and they were mm-hmm. going to just go there, come hell or high water. And you could see, and sadly, you could see it coming, yeah. almost beat for beat from the very from the pilot. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's that's you know not very effective storytelling. Uh, lots of the usual kind of annoying beats. Leo makes an appearance, which always cracks me up. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Oh, Leo. Deborah Messing has a line about, oh, I haven't vomited since I gave birth to Leo. And I almost laughed out loud just at the sort of, you know, I know that's not what she meant, but still. <laughs> um, the scene with uh, with Frank and and uh, Michael was horrible. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, basically. Ellis, you could, you know. Uh, the Ellis stuff was, was horrible as usual. But, you know, they, they have an out if they want to get rid of him next season, but I'm sure they won't because they're not smart enough. Well, we'll see what happens. I'm actually really curious to see what happens next season with the new showrunner and with plenty of time off. They're not coming back in the fall. They're coming back uh, at mid-season again. Plenty of time oh, off. Oh, I, to... uh, I didn't know about the new showrunner. That's yes, yes. So, so there's a lot of potential for this to be a very different show. Um, yeah. I don't know whether they will that will happen, whether they'll take advantage of this opportunity. But I'm definitely curious to see a few episodes with this new showrunner to see, you know, if the show and now having had feedback from, you know, from the viewers, seeing as they made these first uh, series of episodes in a bubble. Now, maybe they'll be able to just quickly adjust some of these issues. But, but yeah, it's it's just it's been interesting, but disappointing. Yeah. A for effort, C for execution, I think, mm-hmm. or C minus. Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> not sure. <laughs> but and I know some of our listeners will be glad that Smash is done with the run, and we are done talking about it. Uh, but it's it's been it's been a cultural zeitgeisty kind of show to talk about on Twitter and stuff. So I've kind of enjoyed that element of it. Yeah, but we'll we'll keep the conversation going, and we'll see how they do next year. Whether or not I have the patience to continue watching it. Yeah, but let's let's take a break and uh, listen to some music, and come back and talk Parks and Rec. Woo! Just got one shot. We're gonna take it. Gonna shoot that bad boy down. Gonna bang that beautiful beast and drag it on home. Oh, you can hear so wild. That was Catch Your Dream by Mouse Rat, which takes us into our discussion of uh, this week's Spotlight episode, Parks and Rec's season finale, Win, Lose, or Draw. Um, and this, of course, this airs on Tuesday, or aired on Tuesday in Canada. Jealous. Um, yeah. and, and pretty soon, you know, when, after, when I was talking to you after you had seen it before I had, it was uh, clearly, you said it was, you know, clearly going to be 
every every other show this week it was going to be up against Parks and Rec for the spotlight and uh and when I found this out I could see why you know clearly this is the episode of the week for us what did you think of not just this episode but also the the season as a whole and how the election has really formatted formatted the season and where you think the show's going to go from here man Parks and Rec had a real victory lap this week eh? I mean it was the only uh, one of the only NBC comedies to get a full season order right away. It's, I mean, this season's gone to see its ratings go way up. And to me, this was the only finale recently that's that's hit every mark that I would want it to, and a few that I wouldn't even think of. Uh, I, I think that the whole election plotline, I wasn't sure about it at first, but I really think it's helping. It's helped to give this, especially the second half of the season, a lot of drive a lot of purpose and a lot of possibilities for the characters that wouldn't have necessarily occurred to us. Uh, I didn't think that the finale was perfect. I think there were a couple of like niggling tiny little problems that I, that kind of bugged me, but overall, I mean, there was so much heart, so many laughs, uh, so many great moments and some of the most dramatic moments we've seen on the show as well. And every once in a while, and especially in their finales, Parks and Rec is amazing at sneaking in little great character dramatic moments i'm thinking especially of the i think it's the season two finale when they when we say goodbye to brandanowitz uh with that one last scene between mm -hmm. um, paul schneider and amy poehler which is one of my favorite scenes of, of the whole show and this to me had another moment almost on par with that with amy poehler in the voting booth just saying you know what it, it it's it's so viscerally the whole experience is is so is so important to her and it's just the culmination of so many experiences and she votes for herself and it's and she's you know why wouldn't she it makes total sense for her to do that in that moment and and then of course we get a fine comic moment right afterwards but just that her her tearing up her her tearing up in the voting booth is just one of my favorite moments of the whole entire show yeah they gave it the time and the weight that it needed and of course Amy Poehler completely sold the moment as well and though for me I think what did really nail it was just Paul Rudd coming in, you know, you know, just the timing of that is what, you know, took it from being a, a nice moment to being perfectly Parks and Rec. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, yeah, you have, you have, you know, the attention to character, you have the heart and you have the ridiculousness within 45 seconds. Yeah. I mean, speaking of the ridiculousness, Jerry, I, I loved that. Well, the fact that they decided to end on a, on a screw you, Jerry moment was, was great. I just, you know, this this very celebratory episode that just ends with this unanimous hatred was a really smart bit of counter-programming. I mean, really, my honestly, the only problem I had with the episode was I feel like the whole, you know, the whole recount thing was a little bit far-fetched. I mean, we, we don't know exactly how many people voted in this election, but the idea that there would be like a 42-vote discrepancy for a vote for like a for a ballot count that takes what an hour or two hours. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's, that seems like a bit much, yeah. uh, it, you know, sort of forces that moment, but I, I would have been just as happy with a straight up count that didn't, you know, take up more of the episode. But then again, that did allow for some amazing scenes, especially any scene between as usual, Ron and Leslie is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And get two or three of the best ones ever, I think in this episode. And I don't know, so many character moments that just made sense and were contiguous with the rest of the season. And 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 also in retrospect, the way we got so many things that feel like like the appropriate culmination of things we've seen before, like that eureka moment of April suggesting to Annie, well maybe you should be a cop, is like 
Of course he of should be a cop. Of course he should be a cop. And how has it not occurred to anyone before in the history of mankind? Mm-hmm. And just the, and just instantly, Police Academy Andy. Next <laughs> like how how can that fail to be awesome? Yeah. Well, I mean, I enjoyed that entire you know little mini arc with with them over the course of the episode. Just Andy's, yeah. uh, you did a good job hiding under the table. That was the right move. <laughs> For that, that whole thing was just fabulous. And uh, I know some people. Uh, didn't necessarily like the insty fix that Donna had, but it made sense to me, and I thought it was. Yeah, it I mean, I, I really wasn't. A, I was sure that was going to turn out to be a bit of not at all drama, and they totally went. That, that was the that was one of the few things about the finale that was pretty much went exactly where you expected it to. Um, I mean, the I, I was really intrigued by Ron in this episode because it, it, I, I I almost felt like because of his speech about how he you know never changes. I was I thought maybe oh maybe he'll yeah, have a moment of revelation and decide to make a major change in his life, but no, it makes way more sense for him to just reject the job and stay where he is. Yeah. Um, before I forget, I did want to mention with April and Andy, uh, if you have the time, go back and, and pause the, the the chart of where to live and jobs, because it's awesome. Oh, yes. I, I, yes, I noticed that. I believe uh, one of the places to live is Winterfell. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of Game of Thrones callbacks on sitcoms these days, I've noticed. People, yep. are, people are watching that show. Um, and I know, and of, of course, many fans will be upset that Anne and Tom are not only back together, but uh, <laughs> maybe living together. But um, I know we've talked about drunk acting a lot on the show, and I, I guess Rashida Jones' drunk person maybe isn't all that realistic, but I do find her hilarious. Mm-hmm. There is a history on the show of Anne being a happy drunk, as I recall, yes? Other than that one fight with Leslie that she had. Yeah, which... which you know, in the history, in the in the pantheon of fights, is not going to rank very highly. Um, so, so I think that it it makes sense, and uh, I mean, <laughs> I look forward to the fodder next season from it because you know we already know that she loves his apartment. So, like, I yeah, feel yeah. like she would move in just for the coconut water, let alone yeah, because of whatever the relationship is with with her and uh, Tom. So, watching, I mean, especially with the knowledge that the writers know, so many fans hate it. Uh, watching that progress should be a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, I'm also I'm going to be really curious to see if they're... I mean, there's been some speculation that sending um, Adam Scott's character to Washington might be a way to sort of take up less of Adam Scott's time since he may be spending time being a big deal movie star. Nobody's really sure. He's one of those guys, that, <laughs> at least... He's one of those guys to me who we're, we're, I'm never quite sure if he's going to be a big deal or not and, mm-hmm. you know, appears in movies and they don't really do anything and so I, I'm, I'll be curious to see if they'll keep him absent, but you know, sort of still in the show's universe, or what they're going to do exactly. Uh, but the but the idea, you know, sort of the compromise that they make is uh, is sweet and makes perfect sense for the characters. Uh, again, there's nothing that seemed out of character for the show, but it but not so much that it was boring and stagnant. Yes. Yeah, I agree absolutely. So I'm really looking forward to the show coming back. I'm glad it's got it got its full order pickup because it deserves it. Um, yeah, and I really, you know, I hope more people find the show over the summer, but we'll see. Yeah, although I mean, for NBC, the show's been doing very well. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's, the ultimate yeah. of caveats. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's doing better than some of their other series, um, like Whitney, which is renewed. Ah, damn it. Uh, yeah, but we got community with Whitney, so I can't really complain. Yeah, you, you've got community. <laughs> I've got community. Yeah. So in, in in conclusion, I thought it was 
you know, maybe not quite as strong as last season, but I do think the second half was better than the first. And uh, very, very excited to see it come back next season. Congrats to Polar and Michael Schur and everyone for pulling off an amazing feat by not not jumping the shark. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a few show notes here before we go to our DVD shelf. Um, you, the intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. Um, you can find us at Current uh, Streaming, or you can also find the show streaming at SundanSite.org, where you can leave us comments. You can also leave us ratings or reviews at iTunes, where we have an MP3 and an M4A feed. You can send us an email, theteleverse at gmail.com, or on Twitter, of course, I am at theteleverse, and you are? At and uh what should our question of the week be um god you always i do me. you'd think you'd be more prepared at this point uh, <laughs> um question uh i guess people's reactions to the renewals and cancellations i'd find interesting also I, i'll be curious to because uh many of the you know uh a few of the networks have previews and stuff for their rather promos for many of their new shows some of which i've watched already i'd be curious to see if, if what people are excited for or cautiously optimistic about mm -hmm. or absolutely dreading because I, I already know for me, there's a few of each of those things. Yeah. So mostly the latter. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. So yeah, that's a great question. And I know there's a lot of talk about that as upfronts week uh, finishes up this, this week. So let us know what you think. Um, so also, yeah. epic, epic DVD shelf next week. Epic. <laughs> But before that, we have our, our fabulous DVD shelf with, with uh, on Nathan Barley with Chris Gore. And that'll be up right after this. Check it out, yeah? Trashpad.cock. Thanks. My website? The old cock, yeah? Registered in the Cook Islands. Hi. Hey, you're Dan Ashcroft, yeah? Yeah. That piece on the rise of the idiots, awesome. Yeah, thanks. Totally sums up my credos. Yeah? Alright, my nigga. Put these here, yeah? Check it out. There's some colossal banger shit going down, yeah? So, Dan Ashcroft. Mm -hmm. Fuck. Hang on, can I, um, just give us your hands a sec? Mm -hmm. uh, it's from a website. It's gonna be awesome. Just do an ident, that's it. Oh, dear, don't. Yeah? Okay, ho ho hold them up. Hold it, hold it your hands. Yeah. Okay. This is Nathan Barley for Trash Bat with Dan Ashcroft. Peace and fucking believe. Oh, scratch ending. I do those all the time. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzer, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are excited to welcome from Attack of the Show, Chris Gore, here to help us talk Nathan Barley. Chris, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And super excited. This is my very first DVD podcast. Oh, well, it, it, it should be uh, it should be fun, at least for us. It's such a for me, it's such a it's a good time to uh, get to explore these these tv shows that i would have never heard of and nathan barley is definitely one of them i mean we've talked about brass eye before which is also from chris morris um, but I, I had never even heard of this until i heard you mention it on the paul global show how did you come across nathan barley i came across it like like a lot of people it was just one of those underground phenomenons that um Gosh, I, you know, first I got them, I, I, unfortunately, yes, I got them bootleg. I got them bootleg little MP4s floating around and and discovered it as like this weird cult show. In fact, um, I finally tracked down a UK version, an all-region, I think it was an all-region version of the DVD, and um, thought it was perfect for G4. 
So Nathan Barley, for people who've never heard of it, is like this. It was like a six episode BBC series that is written by a guy named Charlie Brooker. And Charlie Brooker, he's done a bunch of things I'll like to tell you also about that you'll be obsessed with and want to find. But Nathan Barley is like, it's sort of about how internet culture and gaming and just this whole like obsession with iPods and technology is basically making us stupider. And it, it's, it, it follows sort of this group of people that are connected in ways that are strange where this guy, Dan, who works for a magazine called Sugar Ape, which when you see the new logo, it looks like the, the, the words SU, the letters S-U-G-A is really small. And then the word rape is really large. And the publisher in the mag of the magazine says, what do you think of the new logo? It looks like it says rape magazine. Mm -hmm. uh, so it just has a weird sense of humor across the board. So this guy writes an article called Rise of the Idiots. And it's about how Dan writes this article about how stupid Internet culture and all this technology is making people. And this guy, Nathan Barley, um, falls in love with this Dan because of this article. Like, oh, my God, like you're my hero now because, you know, you're talking about those other idiots. So what <laughs> happens is Dan becomes the hero to the people he reviles. And it's bizarre show. I mean, I'm curious of your thoughts about it. But but, you know, I actually eventually tracked down the DVD. And oddly enough, I passed the DVD along to the then president of G4 TV because I said, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we should be running on G4, not freaking cops and cheaters and all that crap it's like nathan barley is totally uh speaks to our audience it's a it's it's about you know our audience's obsessions i was curious of your thoughts yeah it's it's a really interesting take on on all of that and i think when it really started to click for me because I, I won't lie i had a little trouble with it at first i could tell it was funny i could tell it had a point of view but it, it's a really loud show for lack of a better right, word right um, but when it really started to click with me is when I, I was noticing the the idiots that Dan works with uh, talking so much uh, about their ironic enjoyment of things, uh, which they clearly, they're, you know, we're try, trying to say that they enjoyed on a, an ironic level, but clearly they actually enjoyed all this incredibly uh, idiotic stuff. Uh, they, they they play, what is it? Uh, oh, cock, cock, muff, bunghole. Yes, rather than rock, paper, scissors. And it's... The, the most uh, idiotic thing ever. But it, when I started to connect that to um, the the worst of hipsterism and of uh, some of, of the 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 more, shall we say, less uh, intellectually stimulating uh, corners of the Internet, that's when I started to really, I think, understand what where they were coming from, what they had to say. So, I mean, what did you think of the show? Um, <clears throat> but besides the fact that Charlie Brooker uh, wrote it, uh, or rather, sort of choosing to ignore that, I really, I really approach the show as a as a, a Chris Morris series, just because the directorial style and uh, the music, a lot of which he composed or co-composed, and the outlook, are all very much things you can you can connect him to, and going in with that vantage point, to me, Nathan Barley is sort of part of the wider Chris Morris view of things, which is which which can really be boiled down to the great majority of people are idiots. And more specifically, Nathan Bradley to me is a show about uh, sort of the counterculture, if you want to put it that way, and how here both the counterculture and people who attack it um, are are viewed with the same sort of dim, with the sort of, you know, they're, they're both viewed skeptically at best, let's say, in the sense that, you know, Dan Ashcroft is meant to be, is sees himself as being above the fray and 
coming from this literary perspective, this journalistic perspective. And he turns out to be just as much, if not more of an asshole mm-hmm. than, than the people he's, than the people he seeks, seeks to attack, particularly Nathan, who actually, and you know, Nathan also has his flaws, but he's actually in some ways, you know, more generous, more likable than, than Dan is. Especially so I, when, especially when he's on the bus bragging about, uh, like going, g- hooking up with a fourteen-year-old. Yeah, a thirteen-year-old actually. Who he, who he thinks is a fourteen-year-old. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's just it's that bizarre sense of humor where it's like, who do I like in this situation? I think probably <laughs> the most likable character is Dan Ashcroft's sister Claire, who's a documentary filmmaker, and she's trying to get this earnest documentary made, and she meets this you know, guy who was in some 80s band to try and get some funding for her documentary. And he starts going, I mean, there's just, it's just the weirdest scenario. And, and what's funny is, is that the show is not a success, but it sort of has this underground people who are uh, like, obs- you know, obsessed with it. Like it just, it's, it's, it's one of those things where if you know someone who, who, you know, was a fan of Nathan Barley, you can say something as simple as keep it foolish. And they know what you're talking about. Yeah. When you talk about Claire, one of the interesting things for me about the show is the gender dynamics in that there are, there's really one main female character, but there's also Sasha who works at the, uh, at, at uh, Sugar Ape and is the, the right. secretary for lack of a better word. And they're the two, I would say, least foolish and most, uh, just intelligent, but also uh, just nice or decent people on the show. And I'm curious uh, if if some of that is just maybe the, the writer is not feeling necessarily as able to write from that perspective or just if, if there if there's an inhale, inherent maleness to the the what they what Chris Morris and, and Charlie Brooker see as this effect of this of the Internet age. Well, I mean, let, let's be honest when it comes to the Internet I would say that when if you're looking for idiots and people that are acting immature, that's more of a male attribute. And I'm speaking from experience, of course. Well, but it depends uh, on what you mean by that. You can also go to some some Twihard uh, forums and find some the some of the Twilight moms who maybe are not the most mature people either. Well, that that's well, that's absolutely true. But I think when it comes to television writing, we're not talking about uh, reality necessarily. But <laughs> but uh, when it comes to like TV writing and TV characters and the way people are portrayed, I mean, men are portrayed as idiots. I mean, it's you know that's that's sort of like every sitcom these days. The men are the idiots. The women are the ones that are practical. And I think it depends on who the who's you know the the viewing audience that you're targeting. This show just I think it takes so many risks and it's like so cruel and mean and just bizarre but also but like in a fun way not in a way that's like mean towards its its audience necessarily but dan ashcroft is just sort of a sad figure he's he just wants some sort of respect as a writer and you know the only respect he gets is is from the people he reviles the most the 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 culture he's he's writing about as the idiots are the people that end up worshiping him as a hero you know it's like he's the reverend or whatever he's wearing that preacher man yeah yeah, yeah, preacher man. That's it, preacher man. I mean, it's 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 just it's awesome. I, I I do believe that the show ended up airing on IFC eventually, but I was really disappointed that G four didn't pick it up. I really feel that like with the right mix of shows, it could have enhanced you know the show that I'm on, Attack of the Show, with you know my DV Tuesday segment. It would have been nice to you know, see some programming that actually fit the kind of things that we covered. So it's like the audience that would like Attack of the Show would invariably love something like Nathan Barley. So it became something that I tried to mention at every turn on Attack of the Show. And uh, 
you know, I always try to sneak something in on the show, some some sort of like DVD or show that you wouldn't know about unless you watched the segment. And so I'll sneak it in in a reference or a quick pick or something else. I'll, or I'll try to convince them to actually cover it. Yeah, I mean, and also when you have shows like this, we've talked on the, on the podcast several times before about the, the British model where you'll have, I mean, right now Nathan Barley works for the DVD shelf because there's no current planned return. But I mean, just right. look at Red Dwarf. It, this is a show that could come back in 10 years and all of a sudden there's a new s series. And then having like a series of these these uh, short run kind of more uh, niche shows, I think, is something that other other networks could benefit from and we'll see what happens with netflix and arrested development but i think there's definitely a market for that well netflix is even talking about reviving stuff like jericho now mm -hmm. so i mean we may even be heading for an era like that in the states no it's exciting i i think that the british model is actually much better because rather than ordering 13 episodes i don't know why that that would ended up being the number and now they just break them up like if you look at walking dead they do like a you know six episodes and then seven or seven and six however it was they broke it up i mean they, the british model is much better because you can just do six and i feel that that takes pressure off the writers you can really focus on doing a much better sh you know shorter seasons and if you look at shows like television shows like lost i think lost biggest flaw was the fact that there were just too many shows. There were too many shows, so you end up getting those filler episodes or episodes that have nothing to do with the main story or even the main characters, and it gets frustrating. I think the British series really have the right idea, whether it comes to, I mean, any of them. And of course, we do get the, the cream of the crop being here in the United States when you see BBC, when you get the stuff that actually filters up, you know, filters here on video, uh, or excuse me, on DVD, it like, Yes, on video. I do remember video. <laughs> uh, like, like I think we're we are seeing the best of what they do, but then also because they they're not burdened with having to stretch out the story um, over uh, the course of a season, they do shorter seasons. You end up with better content. Well, and you also end up with more specific content, I would say. And it's easier, unlike, I know s several people are now trying to get the Louis deal uh, outside of certain exceptions to the rule, like I would say Louis C.K., Aaron Sorkin, some of these other uh, auteurs, really, in, in television, David Milch is another one. For the most part, there are just too many episodes in a, an American series to be able to have one person write them all and really be as involved in every step of the production. Like I assume they, the, the creators were uh, on this show. It feels like a very distinct voice. No, absolutely. I, 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 I do like that. When you look at shows like Breaking Bad, I mean, Vince Gilligan, like that, that show, the quality is amazing, but there will be sometimes an episode I go, that was a filler episode. That was cool, but you know, not much really happened, you know? And I feel like, Game of Thrones, I'm starting to feel that a little bit too. Like, I just wonder, I almost wish in, in some cases, I think HBO is getting good at this where they just do, they'll do eight episodes or 10. They did that, you know, life is, life is, life's too short. What is it? Uh, the, life's the too, short. Life's too short. Yeah. Life's too short. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like that shorter seasons actually is just a better model because you can always do a second season, third season. You can do it, you know, it's it's, it's fine. You can order another six and then another six. And I, I do think that there's like this uh, rush and it, this this happens also because there are problems. It's actually a logistical problem with like crewing up, also making sure that you get that the talent, that they have the same haircut and facial hair that, that, that they're going to have for a certain period of time. So I think American TV, the model is just different and it doesn't always work out with the best, with the best stuff.
Um, let's let's go back more specifically to to Nathan Barley uh, briefly. Uh, when you talk about having the same hair, I have to mention the ridiculous was a geek pie. Uh, do we see featured? I was glad I watched the pilot, which uh, there's a 40 minute pilot that's available on the, on the DVD that uh, is actually separate from the rest of the series, the six episode series. But I was so glad after watching the pilot that they were able to incorporate that into, I think, was it the fourth or the, the fifth episode? Yeah, because I think I do think it's one of the best elements of the show, one of the funniest moments. Where he, yeah, like Dan Ashcroft leaves this this barbershop sort of in the middle of getting this weird haircut that ends up being, oh, yeah, it's a geek pie. And then everyone, you know, Nathan Barley's trying to copy his hair because, of course, Dan Ashcroft is his hero. And it just reminds me of just like, I mean, like my hair, I call it a JBF, which I think we know what that. It's just been, you know, you can yeah. figure it out. But uh, but it's, it's, it's just a weird thing. Like I've and I've always liked uh, the, that idea that people can be so stupid and so swayed by a dumb pop culture trend. Like if it's, you know, your pants being so low that you see your butt crack or, you know, they make fun of that in one of the episodes where you see this woman's pants is so low. You can basically see the top of her, you know, stuff. It's kind of crazy. And it's, it's, I've always, I, I, I've actually tried to do that on the internet um, to try to actually start a dumb pop culture trend in myself. Uh, the, the pocket beer, which okay. is, all it is, there's no, I'm trying to figure out how to monetize it, but it's basically taking a beer and putting it in your front pocket. And it's, I, I say that, you know, the benefits of it are it's hands-free drinking. You know, you can, you can text with your mobile device. You can shake hands. You can gesture with your hands while you're speaking to someone. And then you've got your, your, your pocket beer just sort of, you know, uh, holstered away. And I, I started a, po a Twitter called Pocket Beer. It's at Pocket Beer. There's a Pocket Beer Facebook group on Facebook if you just look up Pocket Beer. And I encourage people to post photographs of beers in their pockets. Now, I have no idea how I'm going to make money with this, but it just goes to prove that you can come up with a stupid idea like geek pie and suddenly people are copying you and it really is something that's dumb so that's been you know look if i do leave a legacy it's going to be that i'm the inventor of the pocket beer well two points one the benefit to pocket beer that you haven't mentioned is that it lowers the time interval between the intention to drink and the actual drinking you know you have the you have the thought that says i'm going to drink this and then you just sort of tip your body into into your mouth and then that's that's the, all the time you need rather than having that laborious time to wait for the arm to grab the beer and to drag it all the way to your face i mean anyway so that's another angle you can take well exactly uh, holding beers is just so it's too much effort for me i'd just rather have it holstered in my front pocket so right uh, that's, second I've, point I've always done that and i try to do it always at a party or at a bar so when people see it they kind of look and they're like what are you doing and i explain what it is because my goal is five ten years from now we will all have beers in our pockets <laughs> that well, could well work the the other point i wanted to make is the the episode which features geek pie I think is sort of the, the show, the best example they were able to do in the, in those six episodes, of sort of a classic sitcoms escalation where, you know, it all starts off because, you know, Dan gets very drunk because he's excited about going to see a, a bank in the morning to get a bank loan. And so he ends, ends up sleeping in the studio on, on some paint. And then he goes to get a haircut, which goes disastrously wrong. And I think probably the funniest moment of the entire show which I won't don't want to spoil for anyone who hasn't watched it. And um, 
and then he makes up geek pie and then it becomes a joke and then it becomes a craze until until sort of that you get the epitomizing of that with sort of the uh, the credit sequence and i think that's it's a pretty it's a pretty great execution of a sort of a classic sitcom setup yeah it's but but you know that's what i i mean i think british humor in general i think we all agree Having I grew up with, you know, Benny Hill, Monty Python, the classic Doctor Who with Tom Baker, um, just British sensibility is it's it's different enough that it just feels it's it's, um, you know, it feels different that I, that I, and I am attracted to that. And I love the British uh, sensibility in terms of, you know, when it comes to humor. So but it does take some getting used to it. You can't just like jump right in. I think American sitcoms and American comedies stuff in general is just like easy to sort of jump right in, enjoy it. British comedies, it's like because the tone can be so different from like something like Mighty Boosh to Monty Python to Nathan Barley, you've got to kind of ease your way in. It takes like, let me get some time, first of all. And then some people, sometimes you've got like some thick accents that are like, I got to listen very carefully, you know, to this. Yeah, I, I will not forget the uh, first time watching the British office, I definitely had to put some subtitles on. Uh, until I got the rhythm of it because I was having some trouble with it. But yeah, I, I can absolutely see what you're saying. And that's probably, I think, why it took me a little bit to get into um, Nathan Barley. But I'm glad that I did uh, watch it all. I mean, it's only it's six episodes. It's not a hard show to to watch all of. I, I do feel um, as much as I like the, the British se- uh, series rather than season model of six episodes or fewer, I do kind of feel like the, the, the last three episodes are really find them are feel more confident to me than the first three. Like it, it feels like despite the fact that it's short, you can feel a progression. And I do feel like they were just kind of really perfecting their voice. And so it would be great to have more episodes. And I know that they, that quite a few years back, they did uh, discuss a second season and it didn't materialize. Hopefully it will. Uh, But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, short seasons are great, but I I would like to see more of them sort of at peak level. But of course, I don't know how difficult it would be to get this cast together. I mean, you've got Richard uh, Aoyade, who, and a guy, I hope I haven't butchered his name, who is, of course, now quite a big deal on his own, and uh, Julian Barrett and all these people. It might, it might be tricky. And, and of course, how could I forget Ben Wyshaw, who plays Pingu, who is now kind of like a pseudo big deal movie star. Well, and then, of course, there's also Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah, but he's not exactly in- integral no, that's true. that's true. But and then, and then also there's like uh, Pingu uh, is is one of my favorite characters. I mean, he has virtually no lines. He kind of mumbles when he talks. And and uh, th- the fact that he's sort of the subject of all of Nathan Barley constantly torturing him is hilarious. And then what's funny is a, a good friend of mine, uh, Eric Campos, actually, he named his cat Pingu <laughs> after after Pingu in in the show, so he's a cat named Pingu. But, it's, but it is it is kind of strange how like a, a a series, and this is like with any sort of cult uh, thing, it, it 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 fails, and then it just becomes something that people discover later. It like didn't have this huge success or huge. It, it, I I think that ends up being a good thing in the long run. You can't really revisit it. So I hope I actually hope that they don't make more because I don't know that they would be any good. But I'd love to talk about um, just put in a plug for. Um, another show that was done by Charlie Brooker after Nathan Barley, he did a show that you might have seen called Dead Set. Mm. You heard of it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Dead Set, which is basically it's the zombie apocalypse uh, breaks out, but it's during the filming of a live episode of Big Brother in the UK. So 
Um, what's cool about it is, is that it introduces a character. The lead character is a lot like Zoe from from uh, a Left for Dead, the video game. I mean, exactly like she has the Converse shoes and the and the jacket and and. The way that the show's done, it's like six episodes. It's a zombie series, but it does have an end to it. It's not like Walking Dead where it keeps going. It has a definitive end. And it, it really discusses the whole issue of like reality TV and how we see each other. And and it's all a TV show. And the people that are on the Big Brother show, they're, they, they think that this must be a fake thing, that they manufactured some fake zombie apocalypse, but it isn't. It's a really messed up show. It's dark. It's also a comedy, which one would expect from Charlie Brooker, because if you've read any of his his uh, there's a great collection of his essays in a book called Dawn of the Dumb. And it's great because the, the cover of the book is like a parody of the poster for Dawn of the Dead and, and Charlie Brooker's on the cover and it's got the logo of, for Dawn of the Dead, but it says Dawn of the Dumb. His essays are amazing where he'll just he'll write about like American politics and pop culture. He's he's just an amazing uh, satirist. So highly recommend uh, checking out Dead Set or any of uh, Charlie Brooker's writing. Absolutely. I, that's one I haven't gotten to yet, but I, I certainly look forward to to checking it out. I've heard nothing but praise uh, over the years. And now that I you know, have seen some of these other zombie films, uh, I feel like maybe I would actually be able to handle the gore and all of that. Well, I appreciate that you just said those words, handle the gore. I, I love that about you. Uh, of course. <laughs> if only I were that good at puns. Um, do we have any final thoughts on Nathan Barley, uh, Chris? Uh, just it's something that you got to check out. You got to like track it down um, however you see it, um, whether it's, you know, playing on IFC or you can get the DVD or find it. Um, just just it's it's one of those you got to see. And it's, it's also a show that for me gets better the more you watch it. Because there's definitely layers of comedy, and I, I don't know, I, I could be reading into it, but, you know, there's certain types of comedies that I love, and that's one where I've got to watch it at least once a year. I've got to just put on a little Nathan Barley. Nice. Simon? Uh, I think if you're, if you're at all familiar with Chris Morris's output, um, this is a little bit different from something like, like, let's say, Brass Eye, but there's definitely a lot of the same sort of digital noise and nonsense and detritus sort of kicking around. So I, I think if you're if you're into sort of his worldview and certainly the other Charlie Brooker series that uh, that Chris mentioned, I think it's it's definitely worth checking out if you haven't already. Yeah, for for me, I think I can't believe I just remembered. I, I like the the touch that the boss at Sugar Ape, Jonathan Yeah, which is just a fabulous name. I I, I like the just there's a little detail where you realize that he's actually not an idiot. He's just. Uh, milking them for all of their money, uh, which is uh, a nice, nice little touch. But yeah, it's definitely an interesting, fun series. It has a point of view. It has a distinctive style, and and I'm always, I always look forward to to shows like that that have something to say and that make their point. So uh, I would definitely suggest check it out if if you like uh, British comedy, if you like Chris Morris or Charlie Brooker. It's it's definitely one to check out. So Chris, uh, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me at that Chris Gore and uh, you can go to chrisgore.com and also you can listen listen to my podcast Podcrash, which is available on iTunes and Stitcher and you know your mobile device or however you listen to podcasts uh, Podcrash with that Chris Gore. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse.